Welcome to another episode of On The Couch. This is our first of 2023. And for this episode, I'm really delighted to be joined by an old pal of mine and an old sparring partner on Ausbiz, Ben Clark from TMS Capital. Uh, ben, of course, is a familiar voice and a familiar face to a lot of people and a lot of our members because of his media prowess, I guess. Uh, he's got over 20 years experience and he's primarily responsible for analysing, selecting and monitoring the businesses in the TMS capital that they invest in. So uh, a pretty big job for Ben. And he also provides advice on overall portfolio construction, something that we're going to be talking about today. And I'm sure you'll all be uh, very impressed with Ben's insights. He is uh, part of the Ausbiz Investment Committee and also is on the call as well. So he's pretty prolific on social media as well and uh, a great guy and I'm really happy to have him along. So welcome, Ben. Delighted you could be here. Thank you, Henry. That's a very nice introduction um, and it's good to be on. It's good to have a chat to you. Isn't it? I gave you a big rap there. I think you know, too, you're too to big. Me a beer. Too big. This is, too big. This is all downside from here. <laughs> doing the opposite of Macquarie. Well, well that's exactly right. Well, um, just before we kick off with the chat, just to remind our listeners that this is general advice only. So please do your own research, contact your own financial advisor regarding any of the thoughts, ideas or insights that Ben and I talk about in this podcast. So just remember, guys and girls, it is general advice only. So, Ben, 2022... As they say, how was it for you? Not easy. Probably one of the most difficult years I've had in some time. Um, you know, I, I, I think we're both sort of stock guys, you know. You know I, I, I like those markets where share prices are really reflecting, for better or for worse, how an individual company is performing. And um, um, I'm not as enamored with the markets where there it's really dominated by this big macro backdrop and that's really what 2022 was i'd, I'd also say probably got caught slight you know more than slightly on the wrong side of it um we were we were light on resources um probably somewhat light on banks and um you know the growth stocks which had had a an incredible few years in, in hindsight um, probably got a little bit too heavy on those. But, you know, we, we made adjustments as the year progressed and um, rapidly tried to get our head around the, you know, very different environment that we were moving into. And, um, you know, I, I feel like as we got through the year, um, you know, mentally felt more and more comfortable with how we were positioned and, you know, some changes we had made and how we were going. Um, but you know that particularly i remember that 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 may and june in particular were not fun and um it felt like there was a complete disconnection during that period from fundamentals which really you know sort of left you scratching your head it can leave you sort of second guessing yourself sometimes and um you've just got to keep going back to your processes and and your work and 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 trying to make sure that you're on top of it it, it certainly was, I think, a challenging year for most investors, I have to say. Uh, and we did see, uh, you know, here we are in February and we're looking at the index knocking on the door of all-time highs, which I still find kind of hard to believe. But then we have been driven higher by the big stocks. You know, you've got CBA at a, at a record high at the moment and uh, BHP 
has been close to record high. And then you look at the FTSE, that is a record high. Yeah. So it, it's just been bizarre. And as you say, we had some real months in 2022 when things were pretty shocking. Yeah. In June, everything got slammed, didn't it? It was terrible. I, th- I think, you know, the FTSE you raise is a, is a really good one because I think there's a common misconception and it's probably something we might be talking more about into 2023 is that the share market is not the economy. And, and I think that's mm. something that people can get confused if they think, oh, if a recession's coming, we want to sell shares. But, uh, you know, I was actually, I was speaking to a, a client this morning and sort of saying that, you know, short sharp recessions or downturns or whatever you want to call them they can actually be a good thing if you're a long-term investor because it just flushes some of the hubris some of the exuberance i think where we're seeing that on steroids is in america you know that Mm. facebook um uh, result presentation they gave i mean it's it's extraordinary but it what what it's doing is the, the the macro backdrop is getting CEOs refocused on their core businesses again. They're getting their cost bases reset up against the, you know, where they're seeing revenues going. And it's, although, you know, hard to know what this year holds, but what I can tell you is that when the, you know, the cycle turns, a lot of these bigger businesses are gonna come out meaner and leaner, and they're probably Mm. gonna be a lot more profitable than they would have been if we hadn't gone through a period like this. So, you know, in the, in the scheme of things, you know, the, these sort of periods are necessary and, in fact, I think healthy, but it's not fun when you're going through them and you've got to remind yourself of that. Now, it's interesting, isn't it? When I'm, apart from the fact that I'm old enough, unfortunately, to remember when the FTSE first started and it started at a thousand. That was the, uh, the starting point of the FTSE 100. I remember when that started back in the 80s, but... Um, so yeah, that, that does age me somewhat. But what, what I found interesting, especially from the US reporting season, especially from the social media companies and those big tech stocks, is that there, there doesn't seem to be an acknowledgement that there's been some significant changes to their business models mm. and significant challenges. The, the rise of TikTok, for one, has been extraordinary. Yep. I know from my own experience, the only people who use Facebook are, are, tend to be, um, shall we say, older these days. You know, the, ki- the kids don't go anywhere near Facebook apart from events, apparently. I've got kids in their 20s and they, you know, they haven't used Facebook for years. It's all Instagram, uh, TikTok videos, etc. Uh, and the other thing, I guess, that's really uh, been a headwind for some of these technology companies is the data privacy and the, that whole issue that we've seen in Europe. You know, if you log on to a European website, you're forever being asked, will you allow this, will you allow that, yeah. all this sort of stuff. And, and the number of untargeted ads that I get now is extraordinary compared to, you know, I guess a year or so ago, two years ago maybe. So things have changed. They have. The, the, the regulatory backdrops, you know, continue to get worse for a lot of these companies. I, I think the other thing I've been surprised on with them is that there was this narrative that um, you know if we are going into a downturn even if bond yields um, um, you know are rising and could cause multiple compression these businesses are sort of immune to the challenges of the economy and and to me that's turned out to be you know a false narrative where you could actually argue that many of these businesses have actually felt the downturn a lot 
earlier than more economically sensitive companies. So, you know, we've seen um, with Apple, um, you know, that their, their iPhone sales have slowed quite dramatically. Amazon has seen a slowing in Amazon Prime. Microsoft has seen um, probably more resilient, but there, there still is a discretionary nature there. And uh, Facebook, Google, you know, obviously exposed to um, to advertising. So, you know, that 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 kind of quality narrative where you know the, these companies were almost seen as bulletproof and immune to the ups and downs of the economy I think that has been dispelled mm. so looking back on 2022 and I know this is uh, this is hard mm. but in terms of what lessons do you think you can pass on from uh, the last year's experience to to people that are listening to this podcast yeah there any that stand out for you yeah look I, th I think there's a few I mean because you never stop learning and um, you've got mm. you've got a you've got to always question what you're doing I, I think one thing I probably took out of it was being somewhat more of a generalist is 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 not a bad thing so you know when we, we a generalist we sort of say is you know having retail exposure having mining exposure having banking exposure but then trying to work out which you know and you might have a value tilt that you bring to that or you might have a, a quality tilt or whatever it is but um, you know certainly we have seen some parts of the market have moved with very high correlation to each other and you know if you've got more of a um, you know a lean to different parts of the market and you're seeking out non-correlation between different industries that has been something that's probably served you well over 2022, and it's probably something um, I'd, I've taken out of the um, the downturn that we've had. Um, you know, I, I, I think you can, valuation is probably the biggest lesson. You know, you, you, we all, you know, I certainly could be accused of, you know, focusing on what I felt were the highest quality businesses, but, you know, we went through a time where no one really matter what they were paying for those businesses and that's come back as a reminder through the year is um, a great investment's not just a great company it's also buying a great company at a great price and you can still buy a great company and it can be a bad investment in the short term because you can if you pay too much for it it can still um, it can still come down so um, you know you can buy the best businesses but you can still be wrong for a short term period of time but the mm. the other Thing I would take out of it, you know, maybe something that we've, I think we've done pretty well is, is being optimistic. You know, it's markets do go in cycles. And as you said, you know, the market is now grinding back to pretty close to its all time high. So, you know, one thing I'm, you know, certainly proud or glad that we didn't do was lose our, we didn't lose our call. We didn't, um, you know, sort of, I guess, potentially what could have been the worst possible time getting out of growth stocks and, you know, sort of, moving in another direction because it felt like that's what everyone was saying you should do. Um, there's a number of stocks in our portfolio which are also pushing all-time highs now and you look back at where they were in June and it's kind of extraordinary, you know, when, when, when you think back to it. So, you know, I'm, I, it, there's so much information that is thrown to you on a day-to-day -day basis and to me it's getting more and more alarmist and there's less common sense and, you know, hundred billion dollars was wiped off the share market today and you know all of these sorts of things <laughs> and you've got to try and look through these cycles um, you've got to understand that you have to go through them if you're a long-term investor but you know I think having a positive mindset 
during difficult times will serve you well if you're still going to be there in another couple of years. So, so what do you think, um, apart from having that positive mindset, what do you think you really nailed in 2022? Was there one sort of standout call, uh, maybe during that June route? Maybe we saw it later in the year, I guess, when we saw mm. uh, another route in the market. Was there a standout call that you guys made or you made? That, uh, that sticks with you? I, I think for me, it was probably sticking to our guns. It wasn't that we made any specific big decisions. I mean, there was a couple of stocks that, looking back on we did buy really well during the year. There was a couple of things that we got out of that I look back on and think I'm, I'm glad we did that. But <laughs> I, I wouldn't say that that's made, you know, you can get a bit carried away with, oh, you know, buy these two things and thing. And then you, if, if you're managing a portfolio well, that might make two percent difference to your overall returns after a 12-month period the the bulk of the returns is going to be how you manage the core holdings in the portfolio so um you know it macquarie i think got down to 130 140 would that be right during the year it's it's nearly back at 200 dollars today um csl is now pushing toward an all-time high um and that there's a number of other stocks that we've got there but if i look back at you know I think one that stands out for me is a, a probably a smaller holding, but one we've had for a number of years is Altium, which um, is about to hit $40. I think that got down to $24 at the end of June on no news from the business. And it was, you know, it was a tough, as I said, rough time to get through, but not losing our processes and saying, this is still a great business and we're going to stick with it. And it, I guess... Another thing that we did try and do during the year I tried to do is stepping up communication with clients, ex explaining to them what was driving the moves, what was going on, you know, where this plays out to, and trying to make sure that they also make good decisions. Um, because, you know, we can make a good decision, but if your client sort of loses faith in what you're doing and decides to move on, that can still be a bad decision. So... Um, you know, that's another sort of effort I've probably put in during the year. I have to say, from my own experience, with um, with the investment committee that you and I are both on for Ausbiz, um, it's been an interesting process. And we started the year, or we started the, the portfolio at the end of February 2022. So it was an interesting time to start it. And we did suffer for a little while. But at the end of the day, a year on, we've actually done quite well yeah and it's been a good thing to do i was sort of wary of, to be honest about doing it because um you know you, it's it's you're putting your thoughts immediate thoughts sort of out there in the public but um it's actually been really good because i think you know the the people we've got on there all bring maybe some different ways of thinking about markets and some different areas that they favor and it's actually been something that i've probably taken out of it you know there's areas that I could be better on probably being more open to different ways of thinking about markets and not just sort of thinking I'm doing the right thing all the time and you're drowning out what everyone else is doing sort of taking on board um, other thoughts and actually not just dismissing them and thinking well that's not what we do and thinking well maybe we should be thinking about that and um, so that's that's been a big positive for me and hopefully that's um, helped a bit of performance for us and you know it's definitely you know, I think you look back now at how that model portfolio is going. It's it's now really starting to um, post some good good returns. Yeah, it's funny, isn't it? I mean, initially it was supposed to be a, 
a high conviction growth portfolio, which I guess to some extent it still is, but we still gravitated, and I guess part of that is because that our universe is populated by stocks on the call, mm. but we have gravitated towards the larger caps, which have done, uh, you know, relatively well yeah. this year. So yep. it's it's been interesting in that respect. Definitely, smalls have still underperformed. They're still doing it tough. Um, and you know i think there's been some liquidity things going on in that part of the market uh but mm. you know as you always do see henry you know that the, the money comes to the most liquid stuff when things do start to recover because that's where the big boys can get set yeah and it yeah. sort of flows down from there and so you know we, we might be starting to see this the start of that happen again right okay new year new year we're starting we're building a portfolio from scratch yep. okay we've got no no preconceptions what criteria do you use to build your 2023 portfolio? Are there certain things that stand out for you in terms of analyzing companies and investment opportunities? What, what, what are the criteria? Okay, so I, the first thing I'd say is the process hasn't changed. Um, what we'd be doing in 2023 would be the same as what we're doing in 2022. Maybe, maybe that throws up some different stocks, but... Um, for me, it's kind of a combination of qualitative and quantitative, um, you know, sort of approach that we look at. Um, on the qual side, it's listening to management, and I guess that's something you know I've, I've learned has been a real asset to us. Is for 15, 20 years now, I've been dialing into as many um, earnings briefings, AGMs, company updates as I can. Even if it's businesses that we don't own at the time, it's just trying to get a feel for who I trust is a big, you know, who I think is really there for the long term. They're trying to drive. So management, to me, I think is the most important thing because, I, you know, you can be in a business that goes through a downturn. The right management team will find a way to grow over a sufficient period of time. Um, so management is probably the most important thing and i think you need to build up a um a backlog of experience in judging management so you know probably the guy i single out more than anyone is andrew bassett at seek he was the first it was the first time i actually said you know it was in uh i think it was in 2006 um that i listened in to a company briefing and i just remember how passionate he was about the business you know then you look at the equity stake that he had in the business, what he felt could drive the business over the longer term. And, you know, you can read articles in the newspaper, you can read analyst reports, you can read all these sort of things, but actually listening to the man or woman that is driving the business, who's at the coalface, and I particularly like straight talkers who will say, we've got challenges mm -hmm. here. You know, you li um, Nick Scarley, like, listening to Anthony Scarley uh, yesterday, um, was refreshing, you know, because he, he, he's, he's open to the challenges that they're facing. And you don't leave the core thinking, do I need to be thinking about something that hasn't been disclosed? So management's important. Industry backdrop's a big thing for me. I want to find businesses where I feel there is a, um, a long-term tailwind. Uh, so, you know, that, that can be versed in very different ways in different industries and I then want to find the company that I think can ride that tailwind um, to long-term success and then on, more on the quant side it's probably more of the financial sort of stuff so um, balance sheet 
ultra important. You know, most of the companies that we own have got net cash. You know, if there is a downturn, we're not fretting about can they get through this? Are they going to need to raise capital at the worst possible time, etc., etc. Um, some metrics like the return on equity, the long-term earnings outlook. I mean, how when you're saying how do you build a portfolio, I want to have a collection of businesses which I think earning X this year and in five years are going to earn Y. And I am almost adamant that that X is going to turn into Y. There'll be somewhere it doesn't play out the way you hope, but in the last fast bulk, because I know that I can go through a 2022 year and if the earnings of that business are continuing to grow, over time the share price will follow the earnings trajectory and you'll be right eventually. Um, yeah. And then valuation, you know, which I was talking about before. You know, have some stocks got excessively expensive? Are some stocks, you know, and that, that's probably been something, you know, I in particular have reminded myself you've got to really focus on. In this environment, things are different to where they were in February 2022. You need to be more aware of the um, multiple you're paying. So the enterprise value divided by EBITDA is the main valuation metric that we use because it strips out um, debt or cash um, and it gives us a probably a more meaningful um, picture of um, the valuation of the business versus peers and counterparts. It's funny isn't it when when you look back over the last three or four years and you're, you're talking about businesses that have strong cash flow, good balance sheets, um, attractive valuations etc. We went through the biggest stress test of corporate Australia you could ever possibly imagine when the economy basically shut down yeah. because of COVID. Yep. That, that, that is something that we probably, before the, the pandemic hit, had never considered this stress test or any kind of stress test, really. So it's, I guess it's interesting to see who survived, who thrived. Yep how they changed and as you say, as you rightly point out, the, the key I think throughout all of COVID was management. Definitely. And how they, and how they changed strategy. And I know we use this word a lot, pivoted. Yeah. But I think that was, that was the key, wasn't it? I think so. And it was probably a reminder as well that, you know, the Australian market, I think that the CFOs of the large listed companies have still got the GFC burned into the back of their brains. And um, mm. we didn't see that build up of um, euphoria or excess in companies, you know, leading into COVID. And it, that certainly served us well. And, you know, balance sheets in Australia are still in excellent shape, you know. So that's a big tick. It's probably a, a big part of the reason that the ASX. Um, you know, during the downturn last year, did do very well and, and through COVID. Um, because, you know, balance sheet is something that you don't have to worry about until you suddenly have to worry about it, if that makes sense. And by the time you <laughs> yeah. are right, I mean, look at Adani at the moment as an example, you know, oh, by the yeah. time you've got to worry about it, it's too late. So yeah. you need to constantly make sure that your businesses can get through yeah, COVID's probably the most extreme um, thing that could have been thrown out of left field. Mm. All right, well, let, let's um, let's stop talking general stuff. Let's let's talk stock specific. Here we are, 2023. We're kicking off the uh, the new year. This is our first on the couch. What would be some of the stocks that you would have as the bedrock 
of your portfolio looking forward? Look, so um, if, if I was singling out five, um, yeah. the, uh, there's probably one interesting one in here and three you're going to roll your eyes at. <laughs> <laughs> Wes Farmers, I, 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 yeah. I think, um, is a business which I, I truly believe the management have looked after their shareholders superbly. Net cash, I believe now on balance sheet, they've still got a remaining holding in coals, so there's probably a bit more than that. Bunnings has, you know, time and again proven to be an incredibly good business to own. And they've got a lot of optionality, it feels like, probably more than in the past. You know, they've got this, this lithium venture that's coming online um, in the next year or two. I think management has got a more open mind in terms of looking at different parts of um, the market. They're cashed up. They should be able to take advantage of this downturn. Great business. Macquarie. Um, you know, I, I, I think you've got to have Macquarie in there. It's it's just driven by the smart some of the smartest people in this country and on the planet, who are all heavily incentivized to make money for themselves and for the business. But over on top of that, as opposed to a Goldman's or a City or whatever, you've got this very strong risk um, attitude across the bank at the top of the bank and. We're increasingly seeing, and you know, if you look at their most recent trading update, it's what I was talking about a bit at the start of the call. These mm. um, non-aligned uh, non areas that they're exposed to, you know, we, we've seen the commodities areas been a windfall for them. MAM has gone backwards somewhat uh, with the fall in asset markets, and but the business generally just continues to grind out higher and higher earnings. And I think, you know, excellent management. CSL, you know, I won't go into too much. I, you know, I, I think it's got to be in there. Um, Brickworks slash Sol Pats. Now, they, these two kind of interestingly disconnect from each other. You know, you do find the share prices quite non-correlated, bizarrely, because they should be. So sometimes Brickworks will p appeal to us more and sometimes Sol. Um, but again, you know, it's it's a bit similar to Wes Farmers, but you've got a heavily invested uh, family that oversee and run this business, and I think truly run it for the next 50 years. You've got kind of like Macquarie, you know, you've got a big stake in coal mining, um, and you know, you've also got stakes in radically different businesses that are that have got that non-correlation, rising stream of income over many, many, many years, and. Um, you know, I think um, it's, it's, it's a bedrock of a portfolio. And then the last one, this might be the interesting one, is Deterio Resources, um, which, it, you know, I, I sort of did a lot of work on when it got spun out of Aluka. Um, to me, it's an incredibly interesting business. It's, it's the resource exposure in there um, that, that we've been speaking about, you know, the generalist sort of way of building a portfolio. I, I still think it's misunderstood. Um, you know, there's there's a number of resource um, royalty companies that trade in Canada and on the New York Stock Exchange. Franco Nevada is the largest one. And when I was doing the work on this, when it did demerge out of Aluka, what you realize is what Deterra have is globally unique. Nearly all of the royalty streams are in gold. Um, and gold tends to fluctuate quite a bit, but it's heavily, uh, for whatever reason, I'm not sure, but it, it is heavily invested in that one area. Uh, there's not a lot of diversification. A lot of royalty streams are done on profit 
not on revenue. And as we, you'd know, Henry, like profit can be easily manipulated up and down, particularly for a mining company. You know, you've got so many inputs and outputs that are going through these businesses. Um, most are very short mine life. You know, you might have an eight-year copper mine in PNG, which you're getting a royalty stream over the profit from. And hmm. um, mining companies can be unprofitable, they can be profitable, so the royalty can be zero, it can be high. Um, there's frequent um, uh, litigation between the royalty owners and the, and the, um, the asset owners. Deterra owns a 1.232% royalty over the MAC, which about two thirds of BHP's total iron ore production comes out of. So you're getting a royalty over the bulk of BHP's iron ore. It's done on mm. revenue, not profit. So whatever revenue BHP pulls out, which is just 1.232% times production, times the iron ore price, they get sent every quarter as a check. This is a 60 year mine, incredibly long mine life. And BHP is in the process of taking it from a 45 million ton a year operation to a 150 million ton a year operation. And some of the analysts now think it might actually run above that for the next 50 years. So, you know, it's, if you look at where a lot of Australian, that mega wealth has been built from, um, it's royalties. Uh, you know, mm. you look at the Hancock family, the Tom Price family, and some families that none of us have heard of. And this is the only um, listed option that you've got to invest in this space. So. You know, mm. this year it should push out, including franking credits, a yield of about 11 or 12 percent, and it's um, got net cash on the balance sheet. You know, and I, I think at some stage one of those big resource players will come sniffing for it. It's it's a bit. I remember when David Bowie sold his songs. Right. That that was the the every pop star. In the world, it seems at the moment, is flogging off their royalty streams, which I guess is a bit of a comparison to Deterra with their iron ore royalty streams. Yep. Uh, for their back catalogue, if you like, mm -hmm. you know, Michael Jackson owned all the Beatles songs yep. for a little while. I guess the other one in the space, which is another derivative, if you like, is uh, AWC. Yep. Which has the forty percent stake in AWAC, which is pretty much a derivative of Alcoa. Uh, Deterra being pretty much a derivative, I guess, of BHP production. Um, so, yeah, I've always sort of avoided it because I never really think that they've got their own destiny in their own hands. They're, they're really just beholden to BHP. If BHP stopped tomorrow and said, OK, you know what, we're stopping iron ore production, then they're a bit stuffed. Well, that is a threat. And But, you know, when you've got two thirds of BHP's total iron ore production coming out of this asset, there, there would have to be some, I don't know what would be the reason mm. to happen, but it'd have to be pretty pretty significant. And I mean, that's one way of looking at it. The other way of looking at it is you are tying yourself to maybe one of the, the best producers of iron ore on the planet. Mm. And, you know, it's, I'd, I'd probably rather BHP be running this than Deterra, <laughs> if that makes sense. Yeah, well, that, that's, that's true. That's true. Um, <laughs> Well, you've given us five stocks, which are the bedrock of your portfolio, which I think is fantastic. Thank you for that. Um, I'm, I'm, I must admit, um, it wasn't so much the terror that um, raised a smidge of an eyebrow. It was more the sole pats, mm. mainly because of that, um, that coal exposure. Mm. And coal, of course, has done extraordinarily well. But 
you know, you are buying into the New Hope story mm-hmm. and whether coal will continue. And then, of course, there's the ESG considerations as well. I'm sure some investors shy away from Solpats purely on the fact that they are owners of coal mines. Yep. And we've seen that seen that in the past. So that was that was the one that raised a smidge of an eyebrow for me, I have to say, Ben. But um, great picks. Thank you. You're welcome. Yeah. And look, I, yep, you've got the coal. You've got this incredible property business that Brickworks is building out with Goodman Group. You've got the building products business. They still have the stake in TPG, which is probably the one I'd be the least keen on. Um, you know, yeah. I, I, I think that's... I'd probably rather own the coal assets than the TPG business, to be honest. <laughs> I think everybody would. Yeah. But um, <laughs> you, you've also got to remember, you know, they, they did this... In, big transaction with Milton where they bought Milton and um, it's probably becoming a bit more of a leak as well yeah. I'd say Henry you know because they've ended up with big stakes and a lot of big companies mm. all right um, what what I'm going to ask you this question yeah um, because it, it's kind of prescient at the moment with um, with what's happening with Adani and we touched on that earlier um, is there any company out there that you look at in the ASX and you shake your head and you just go you know what? That is just completely the wrong price. There's loads of ASX companies that have massive short positions. If there was one out there that you'd shake your head on, is there any company that stands out and you think, nah, I'm never going to punt that one. I'm never going to invest in that one. It is just the wrong price. Uh, look, there's there's some in the small end. I, I, I think as you go up the curve, markets get more and more efficient. And I, I always mm. would be a bit cautious of thinking that you know more than the markets. Probably what, another thing I've learned. The, the market's not always, but generally a lot smarter than you give it credit for. Um, it, it's probably more in those micros to smalls where you don't have the institutional interest that you can get um, some disconnections. So, you know, I, I think in, you know, if I look at some things in the in the in the very small tech area, like there's a couple of stocks there, like Brainchip and Weebit, which I look at the valuation versus where they're at, and you think, okay, um, it extraordinary. Uh, I, I I can't see why you pay for it, but I think you'd have to have an incredible, you know, if you've got a really good background, you know, in that semiconductor sector or in, in that area you might have the expertise to say, you know what, this still could be real. But for me, you know, there's, everyone's got their limitations and that'd be one. But, you know, it's, it, it is probably more in that, look, we look at a bit of everything, but it's, it's, it's in that more ASX 200, 300 that we're probably more focused. Um, you know, there's a couple of stocks there that I think, you know, look kind of interesting because um, in, in, I think, you know, the market's, um, can overreact to negative news at times. And um, so, you know, one, as an example, is Medibank at the moment that, you know, we're doing some work on. They, they had the big cyber hack last year. The share price has dropped about 20%. Um, you know, this is a business that should do extremely well in a higher interest rate environment, which is what everyone was dusting off their playbooks and trying to find last year. I think the market might be overly worried there that policyholders are going to desert Medibank because of the hack. I think, you know, most Australians might look at it and say it's just as likely to happen to Boop or HCF and, you know, the process of moving is just a nightmare and 
Um, mm. I, I'm not going to bother going through it. And arguably, you know, probably the least likely to get hacked tomorrow is Medibank, <laughs> if that makes sense. Yeah. Um, yeah. ASX is another one that we've started looking at, um, which, you know, had this, I mean, they just incredibly, this project that they've done, it's just been a disaster. And, um, but they've probably done the right thing in pulling the Band-Aid off and saying, that's it, we're not doing it. You know, they've, they've pissed off a lot of people, I think, if I could say that. You know, a lot of the brokers have spent a lot of money forcibly to, to make sure that they can clear through this new platform that now is just being relegated. Um, you know, we've also seen regulators are just breathing down their necks, not happy. But there's still a great business there. It's, you know, it's on its year lows, pretty or pretty close to it at the moment. It was trading in the mid to high 80s for most of the year. And we've also gone through a period where corporate activity, IPO market's been closed, you know, volumes are down. You know, you go through those years and the ASX always does get sold off during those years. But it's a reminder that this is one of those stocks you want to look at coming out of those periods. So there's maybe mm. a couple there where I think maybe the market's sort of mispriced it in the short term. Geez, great minds think alike, Ben. I looked at Medibank Public, as I call it, because most of the information is public these days. The Medibank after the, the hack. Um, but I looked at that a, a little while ago at $2.80 and said, you know, wrote that it, I thought it was a buy because of the stickiness of the business and what, how much worse could it get. And as you say, they're the least likely now to be, um, to be hacked. And, you know, it's back up, it's crawled, I have to say, it's crawled back up above three bucks. And ASX, the same, um, complete disaster, the whole blockchain experiment. But what I was heartened by uh, is a great mate of mine, Luke Randell who was um, the man at City uh, for a long time, head of markets there, has joined the board of ASX, which I think is a, is a very positive move. Okay. So um, I, I'm, I'm liking that one. Um, so, yes, good. Now, now, Ben, you've been very generous with your time, and so um, I won't keep you much longer, and you've been very generous with your recommendations as well. Uh, just one more question, I guess. In terms of the ASX this year, look, yep. looking forward to... Uh, so this time in 2024, what, what do you think, firstly, what do you think the big theme is going to be of 2023? And where do you see the index going? Are we going to get that recession? Are we going to get um, that downturn? Or how's things going to play out? Um, okay, so I'll start by saying I'm an awful forecaster. And, you know, <laughs> <laughs> um, but, so take this with a big grain of salt. Um, I feel like this bounce that we've seen through January is one of the most unloved bounces I can remember. Um, I feel like everyone was max negative positioned going into the start of this year. I, I, I didn't see one commentator that didn't, or one forecaster or you know strategist, whatever these guys are called, that didn't think we had a tough six months of us ahead and then maybe things start to you know get better in the second half of the year. And it, it's just a reminder, you know, it's when everyone is thinking one thing, the other thing often happens. And, you know, we've seen the best January in 36 years. No mm. one was calling that. So, you know, that, and I think it's happened so quickly. And the shorts, I think, are thinking it's too early. The longs, I think, are still skittish and a bit sceptical themselves about how quickly the markets rallied. 
it could keep going. You know, I, I suspect mm. it could. I, I, I think you're going to see a pretty good earnings season coming up. Yeah, you're going to get, mm. you know, that, that um, like already a couple of I've listened to, Macquarie, Nick Scarley, great results, very cautious management. That's going to be a theme, I think. But mm. the reality is, you know, great results. You know, we, we, we're, we're seeing some good numbers coming through, albeit very early days. Um, index as a whole, Banks look full to me, to very full. Um, you know, I, I, I don't see a whole lot of earnings growth coming from the banks and, you know, I see some pretty punchy valuations now. Resources, I suspect, might have a bit more in them um, as this China reopening sort of trades continues to play out through the year. Growth still feels like it could have some more in it. Um, and then you've got like the Woolies and, you know, these Telstras and sort of stuff. Maybe that, that grinds a bit lower during the year as everyone starts to take on a bit more risk. So I wouldn't be surprised to see this move have some more legs in it. I also wouldn't be surprised if we see a period of consolidation for the rest of the year. But we see some changes within the index as to how different parts of the market are performing. Um, you know, what are the big themes? Well. What, you know, what are the three things everyone's talking about? Rates and inflation, China, and then earnings. You know, how, how, how big a downturn do we see economically and what in flow and impact does that have on earnings? They're, they're the big three. I think if we did another podcast at the start of next year, we'll look back and say there was something none of us were thinking about was the driver for 2023. Because that's what drives markets is the things that aren't priced in. And... Mm. Um, There'll be something, Henry, as, as uh, I'm sure you'll know. Um, <laughs> but, you know, China's a positive. Um, rates, I think we are very close to a peak and we should start moving into a period where it's when the rates start getting cut so the, the headwind becomes a tailwind. Tick, tick. Earnings, probably the question mark. You know, how well do earnings hold up? I think it'll be very different for different businesses. Ben, it's been an absolute pleasure talking to you. You've, you've showered us with words of wisdom, showered <laughs> us with ideas. We are a cup runneth over. Thank you so much for your time, your insights, and your your knowledge of the market because it is, and your communication skills. I think you you, you talk so brilliantly about the market, and it has been a pleasure uh, being on the Ausbiz um, Investment Committee with you because um, otherwise, I think some weeks I'd probably go insane. <laughs> But, uh, <laughs> Thanks, mate. I appreciate that, Henry. I hope it's helped, and you know, I think you know, hopefully, a bit of it. You know, as you know, with markets, it's just constantly learning and trying to get better yeah. and better. And you know, I hope pass a bit of that on. I hope it helps everyone. It does. Thank you so much, Ben. It's been a delight. Cheers, mate. <laughs>